Aloha, this is Jason from Hawaii. Welcome to a special edition of the Comics for Fun and Profit podcast. It is my honor to interview Professor Jeremy Dauber. He is the author of his new book, American Comics, A History. It is available on Amazon or, you know, please, uh, or, you know, and it's also even um, available at your local bookshops. Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. No, Jeremy, thank you very much. Now, for our listeners, you know, I just want to give a brief history of Jeremy's background. Jeremy is a professor of Jewish literature and American studies at Columbia University, where he has served as director of its Institute for Israel and Jewish Studies. He has written a number of nonfiction books. I'm just going to name a couple of them. Now, Jeremy, correct me if I'm wrong. Your first book was Antonio's Devils, Writers of the Jewish Enlightenment and the Birth of Modern Hebrew and Yiddish Literature that came out in 2004. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yes. And then I know one of your, one of your um, other books that came out in 2017 was Jewish Comedy, A Serious History. That's right. Exactly. Okay. And then also, too, you wrote fiction as well under J.A. Dauber, and it was for a young, it's a young adult fiction, um, Mayhem and Madness, Chronicles of a Teenage Superhero. Is that, is that correct? Uh, Chronicles of a Teenage Supervillain, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. Supervillain. I, I misread that. I have Supervillain. No, no. Thank you very much. I went the other way. I went the All other right. way. <laughs> All right. Did I miss anything? No, I think you got a lot of the highlights. That's uh, that's fantastic. And of course, as you said, the new book is out now, American Comics of History. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, before we begin the interview, I really want to give a big shout out to Erin Bolden of JRB Communications. She reached out to Comics for Front and Profit. Um, she also gave me an advanced copy of your book, Jeremy. So, and, and also, I just want to give her a big shout out, you know, for setting up this interview. Erin, mahalo nui loa. In Hawaiian, that means thank you very much. Jeremy, I'm going to ask, do you want to add anything to that? Uh, no, just that I'm so glad that Aaron did it as well. This is going to be a real fun conversation. All right. So let's start off. Where can listeners follow you on social media? So I'm uh, available on Twitter. That's where I spend most of my social media time. And that's Jeremy Dauber, mm-hmm. D-A-U-B-E-R. Okay. So that's that's where to find me. Uh, and I have a website as well. And that's where, uh, along with the places that you mentioned, that's where you can you can order a copy of the book. Okay. All right. Now, I'm just going to ask a couple questions about your, your origin story. Where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in uh, New Jersey, uh, mm-hmm. right across from New York City, across from the George Washington Bridge. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where I spent most of my childhood years, reading comic books, among other things. <laughs> now, do you remember what was your first comic either comic strips or comic books that you read so i think my earliest memory of comics was like a lot of people of my generation i'm in my late 40s was you know every sunday we had an actual newspaper that came to the house mm-hmm. uh and so we would spread it open and you know we would get peanuts was the first one right on the on the page but yeah. for a lot of other ones uh so that was my earliest memory but but pretty soon after that somehow and i honestly don't remember how um we got these sort of small pocket books editions of early Marvel comics. Yes. Uh, okay, you may remember these as well. Yes. Um, and, and so that was my first real uh, uh, introduction to the superhero world, was those little collections of uh, really early era Marvel, Spider-Man, and, and things like that. Those were, those were great. 
So that was a very early age. And then I was very lucky that mm -hmm. my uncle mm -hmm. um, had collected sort of a lot of Silver Age comics and he let us read them. Um, so this was before, you know, uh, we had all these collections that are available yes. now, but I was able to read real runs of a lot of these sort of 1960s comics, which <laughs> he should not have put into the hands of small children because we did not treat them <laughs> as well as we should have, uh, even when we tried hard, but we did not. <laughs> so, so I was very lucky that I had this like incredible uh, early exposure to a lot of wonderful, wonderful comics. Uh, uh, from early on. And then as I got older, uh, I, uh, you know, as I was a younger, young kid, as an adolescent, I was a Marvel zombie. I really, I, I bought everything that the, uh, the, the company put out in the, in the early to mid 80s, let's say. Mm -hmm. All right. And then I know now, because I've listened to some of your early, in some of your other interviews, I know like you're mentioning about 1986, you, you almost started to like kind of go away from comics, but, but that's when you start to find out um um couple of significant shifts in the in the comic in the comic in the in the comics industry in 1986 that's exactly right i mean I, you know i think that in some ways everybody feels to one extent or another that they were the perfect age for the medium that they love but yes, i yes. certainly felt that way too because as you're saying uh 1986 was the year that i entered high school Mm -hmm. um, and I was beginning to say, okay, you know, maybe these comics are getting a little juvenile yeah. for me, you know, whatever. and that was, as, as I think probably a lot of listeners to this podcast know, that was this, you know, miraculous year uh, in which uh, Dark Knight Returns came out, yes. which Watchmen came out. Yes. These were not comics uh, that were aimed at little kids by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you pointed out earlier, I, I, I came from a Jewish background. I come from a Jewish background. Um, and it was the same year that Mouse, the first volume of Mouse, came yes. out um and, uh, and and maybe not surprisingly this resonated very strongly uh with me as well so not all, i was really beginning to see that not just that superhero comics which is what i'd really read until then mm -hmm. anyways yes. um were, were, were maturing but also that there was this whole other uh uh kind of comic uh that the medium could accomplish yes yeah okay um now where did you buy your comics from was it like from a drugstore did you or did you have a comic shop no, that's a great question. Uh, that's a great question because really, as you're suggesting, this period of time of my childhood or my older childhood, let's say, yeah. was really the time of, of the growth of comic stores. And that's yes. a whole part of the story. Um, so when I was a little kid and I didn't really care so much about coherence, um, I, I would buy them sort of at a local drugstore. Mm -hmm. um, and occasionally I would uh, convince my mom to take me into the city uh, to, to New York City, to Forbidden Planet, which was around then, and I could get comics at Forbidden yes. Planet. Um, but really, it was sort of catch as catch can. But around the same time as, um, and I briefly experimented with subscriptions, but I didn't really like that very much. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and around the same time that I really was becoming sort of a junior high student, there was um, a comic shop both in my hometown uh, and sort of the town next door, and I would go back and forth between the two of those. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I'm just asking, are, are those two comic shops, are they still around or are they closed down? Uh, one of them is, is still around, um, and I know. And the other one, I, to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure. I don't live quite as close anymore. You know, we live in the city with a car, so I haven't driven out there. Mm -hmm. uh, Midtown Comics, which is, you know, in New York City, is still going very strong. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to start going into the book, American Comics, A History. 
Now, um, now, before we, you know, before we start talking about the book, you know, I mean, because I, and I got an advanced copy. Um, I'm going to be honest. I try to read as much as I could. You know, I've got through the first chapter. It's really great, but yeah, it's a very comprehensive book because I skimmed through the rest here. Now, how did you come up with this book? So, you know, one of the things that, uh, uh, as I became a professor, I, I you know, I, I've been doing this for a while. I, I, I started thinking about different kinds of courses that I wanted to teach. Uh, and I said, you know, this is a, a major American art form. Uh, it, it, you know, it really tells a lot of things, not just about sort of the development of this medium with a lot of wonderful pieces, uh, works to it, but it also tells an American story in many ways. And I thought there was a way of kind of making this a kind of American studies course. Um, and I was extraordinarily lucky uh, that around the time that I was starting to think a little bit about these things, uh, Paul Levitz, who I'm sure yes. that name is no stranger to, to you or to people listening to the podcast, was finishing, was retiring from D.C., uh, stepping down from DC and, and was looking and interested to teach. And he sort of reached out to Columbia. And, and, and so we got, I got the opportunity and continued to have that opportunity to team teach with him, um, which has been an amazing experience and really a very different and very fruitful perspective. Uh, that's not necessarily the typical academics perspective as you can imagine. Um, and after a while of teaching this course together, I said, you know, we, we, we've put this together in a way that really, um, both tells a kind of narrative history mm -hmm. and also a narrative history that really points out the connections between a lot of different kinds of comics that maybe uh, really do have deep connections, but that people don't maybe focus on those quite as much as part of this whole coherent, very large tapestry. And I thought uh, at that, at the same time, as you know, we started teaching this course maybe about 10 years ago, um, you know, the story of comics entrance into sort of the wider American imagination has just become more and more pronounced. And that there was an audience out there that would really say, hey, you know, I might not know that much about comics. I'd like to know what this is about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so I wrote this book for not just fans like you and I, mm -hmm. um, although I think also is, is fun for them, but also for other people as well, because everyone has some connection into uh, comics of one sort or another. And they're all yes. part of the story. And then, um, um, let's see. Um, I'm going to give you a moment. Do you want to give us any shout outs to people that help you with your book? Uh, sure. I love, yes. that, that's a, I, I love the opportunities that you're giving in this interview for, for the expressions of gratitude. Uh, because there's there's so many people uh, uh, to be grateful to. Uh, you know, first there are what I would call the, the people uh, in kind of the the comics world in one way or another. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, uh, as I mentioned, Danny Fingeroth, Peter yes. Cooper, Tanier Oxman, Kim O'Connor, a number of people who really helped uh, me think about the manuscript, read the manuscript. Uh, there are, of course, a lot of people at Norton. Um, I would also have to thank uh, the people at the Columbia Library System. Yes. Uh, notably Karen Green, who's the Columbia, Columbia's comics librarian, but really everybody, I would just show up to the circulation desk with, you know, 15 or 20 titles mm -hmm. every day. Uh, and they, they were great. And then, you know, um, I, as I, in the acknowledgements, I, 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 I do a lot of this, but I, I, I really am so great to my family. Anyone who has written a book or, or engaged in any serious project knows how important uh, a supportive family is. And, and mm -hmm. during a time, a lot of this was finished while COVID was starting mm -hmm. up uh, even more so uh, 
uh, at times like this. And so for my wife and my children and my parents mm -hmm. and my in-laws, uh, uh, just uh, tremendous supporting help. So and, thank you for letting me do that. No, and Jeremy, I'm sorry, Jeremy, I'm just going to ask, what about um, any research assistants? Oh, yes. Well, thank you for letting me, uh, and I talk about them in the acknowledgments as well, but yes. it's great to put them on air, uh, particularly Tiffany Babb. Uh, mm -hmm. who really was just an extraordinary assistant in sort of helping put together some articles and, and things like that in the book. She is uh, uh, already starting, uh, I think the beginning will, will be a very illustrious career uh, in comics. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where, where it goes. Um, yeah, so, so a big shout out to Tiffany and, and thank you for, for, for reminding me. Not to, no, oh, no, no, no. And then now when you, now, you know, I've already mentioned your non-fiction, you know, some, at least a couple of your non-fiction books. When you decided to write this book about the comic, about the comics medium, the overall comics medium, what was the reaction to some of your peers? Or well, from your peers, I should say, from your peers. Yeah, I think, you know, at first, um, there was a little bit of... Uh, uh, I don't want to even say pushback because that's not that, that's not accurate. Oh, yeah. But a little bit of a doubt of would this be a topic that would have not only uh, you know a purchase um, but real kind of student interest? Would this mm -hmm. be a topic that sort of would would repay kind of the study that kind of way? And and right away it, it was a popular course, and so that might might be okay. Well, great, you know. Yes. Um, and then you know they to the extent that we look at what our colleagues are uh, teaching in the particulars of the classes, which is mm -hmm. sometimes the case, sometimes not. We give each other a lot of latitude uh, in productive ways. People said, wow, you know, this is really interesting. You know, you, you know, there, there really is a very robust story here. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a way that really sheds light on a lot of American popular and cultural history. Um, yes. And so people were, 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 were pretty happy about that. And as, as I think that many of them, even the ones who weren't interested in comics, like we were saying before, you know, we're seeing more and more, comics being reviewed in the New York Times book review, comics yes. getting these kind of awards. So increasingly they're saying, you know, this is really something that people are talking about. And so we should be talking about it too. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, before I start ask, asking questions about the book, I want to just start off with this. Now, you know, I read one of your, I read one of the reviews that was um, from your website and correct me on the pronunciation of the name, um, Peter um, Cupper. Cooper, Cooper. Cooper. Okay, Cooper. He's known for Mad Magazine Spy versus Spy. That you know, he yeah, he took, uh, basically I guess like took over back in 1997 until Mad Magazine was discontinued recently. Um, he also won a journalism award for the Society of Newspaper Designers in 2001. I just wanted to give a little bit of background information to our listeners about who um, Peter Cooper, um, you know, is. Now he said, and I quote. With encyclopedic knowledge, Jeremy Dauber brilliantly excavates the story of this art form, warts and all, from its origins right up to the 21st century, and it strikes cartoon gold. For anyone curious about a medium that's, that's, that's influenced and embedded itself in every part of our culture, American comics is an essential guidebook. If you are already a connoisseur of comics, be prepared to be enlightened anew. So that's a very that's a very good review. <laughs> I was pretty happy when Peter wrote that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, as you say, Peter is really one of the great uh, cartoonists, the great artists in this medium of comics. 
um, really a, a, a seminal figure, really influential figure. And so for someone like that to, to, to think as highly as, as he says he did, as he did about the book, uh, uh, that really uh, means just the world to me. And, 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 and so I was very grateful. Okay, so I'm going to start off with the question, and you and Jeremy, forgive me because I'm going to and it's just this question because I kind of know what the book is about, but I'm going to ask like for our listeners, may I ask, can you tell them what the book is about? Sure. So one of the things I really wanted to do is you know for for people who either know some about comics, they know a lot maybe about certain areas, or they don't know much about them, to say you know what is the story of this medium right and, and you know we often think about comics or people who don't know as much as you or the listeners on this think about comics as a genre particularly a superhero genre yes but of course that's not what comics is comics is a way of telling a story which is generally speaking although not always this juxtaposition of words and text and kind of yes. order right so i want to tell that story as it appears in america starting mm -hmm. uh, to a certain extent from the very beginning, but really from around the time of the Civil War, mm -hmm. uh, and tell it from then to the present day, yes. incorporating as much as possible of all of these different kinds of elements yes. uh, of the story, not just any particular genre, but also telling about how it was impacted by and how it impacted America, yes. Um, yes. and the story of comics as not just a series of individual artworks, although certainly a lot of that, with some great titles for people to discover, but also as a, as an industry, as a, as a business. Yes. So trying to put all that together into a entertaining sort mm -hmm. of moving along narrative. That was what I want. That was my, my goal. Because I'm going to, because um, I want to mention a couple of things is that because I, you know, um, actually before I say something, let me go on to the next question. In your first chapter, like you said, that you started off in the Civil War with Thomas Nast. Thomas Nast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you started. You now your focus started on newspaper comics, and I'm going to ask for the listeners: Can you tell me, you know, uh, how important was this to tell the origin of the comics medium? It's a great question. Um, to start with Thomas Ness, I think was useful in two ways. The, the first way was um, because, and maybe in some of this, the, 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 not as important a way, but, but still, was that he is a, a figure who has this real historical importance in the development of comics. People <laughs> saw his cartoons, they saw them all over. He appears in these uh, weeklies, these sort of mm -hmm. news weeklies, and that becomes kind of the basis for a lot of the comics for people to say, you know, we're going to move from the weeklies to these newspaper dailies. But in some ways, you could have started it maybe a little later with sort of the golden age of the comic strip. But what was important to me about starting also with Thomas Ness was that he really showed how important comics could be as a medium in uh, America, sort yes. of more generally. He was the guy who not only popularized these sort of iconic images that then had great power uh, in our head of Santa Claus, of the yes. Republican elephant, uh, and the Democratic donkey, right? Mm -hmm. He was a major uh, reason mm -hmm. why, through the power of his cartoons uh, and his comics, why um, the Union uh, during the Civil War maintained its kind of morale uh, and continued to kind of fight on, even when it didn't look so good for the Union. Mm -hmm. And that way saved, I think, the American Republic. Yes. But also, so there was that aspect of it, but also it showed sort of the power of this for not always great things. 
um, that he also engaged with that uh, with some stereotypes, some caricatures of different yes. ethnic groups. Yes. Uh, and that that was part of the story that I wanted to tell and felt like I had to tell yes. uh, as well. That uh, the comics is also about, uh, you know, for when it's used for ill as well as for good and who isn't part of the story and who gets to tell those stories. So all of that, Nast was an extremely interesting figure mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to introduce our story in that mm -hmm. way. Because I'm going to go back to um, the review of that Peter said, basically how you presented, you know, the comics medium with its warts and all. Because yeah. if I... If I remember correctly, Thomas Nast was, he advocated for some minority groups, but unfortunately, he had to still deal with, he still had to, he presented some stereotypes as well, too. But then, but this, to, to do the characters, he still had to kind of, um, it was almost a necessary evil for like, I, I still need to make money type deal. That, that's how I was seen, you know? <laughs> I think that in some ways that that is part of it in the comics medium more generally as well, right? Which was to say, you know, very frequently, you know, for a lot of comics was a business where people wrote and drew quickly. They were doing it to make money, all these things. And so what they did was they relied on shorthand, which the visuals of comics very frequently allow for. They allow us to get a lot of information yes. that we take for granted based on what the image is. <laughs> uh, but the problem is, that what that often does is that perpetuates those same shorthands. Yeah. So just to take an example, right, you could say, well, and I, I use this in the book to say, you know, very frequently people would say, well, we want to make sure that nobody thinks that this particular woman or man, you know, is going to be a, a love interest, a romantic interest. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have time to really sort of develop a character or, yeah. or play this out. So we're going to make them kind of short and fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's terrible, right? That's a terrible thing is to say, because it, it does seem to put in people's heads this idea that people who, you know, aren't as tall as other people or aren't as thin as other people might not be uh, as romantically eligible or worthy mm -hmm. of kind of being the lead in a romance story. Um, and that is something that I think more recently people are trying to push against. But those kind of visual imageries, those shorthands, you know, are very powerfully engendered. And of course, that's not just the case with physical attributes of that sort, but it's with uh, uh, car racist caricatures, with misogynist imagery, with all and sexist imagery, um, with homophobic materials, yes. all kinds of things like that. And and quite frankly, you know, if if one were telling the story of American comics without telling that unsavory mm -hmm. part of the story. Uh, uh, we would not be doing we would not be doing a fair job, and so I wanted to make sure that I'm, we included that. I included that as well in the book. Oh no, yes, and it was um, it, it because just reading the first chapter alone, it 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 really showed, um, like you said, the you know it showed the balance of how the comics medium started, how it would it can be used for good, and sometimes it can be you know it it can be used in a wrong, it, it could be interpreted in a bad way too. Yeah. And I do want to say that in this way, like in so many other ways, comics were not necessarily any better or worse than other cultural media. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I wasn't trying to make that point. Well, it's not like, you know, uh, films in this period uh, were bastions of, you know, 21st century liberal toleration. I mean, it was only the comics, but comics were part of American mass cultural discussion and discourse. Uh, and so they, they, they did all this stuff too, um, unfortunately. Okay. Um, couple things I loved about the first chapter was, um, 
there was, you know, um, was I, there was, I think the, there's uh, a comic book character named the Yellow Kid. Now, I'm going to make it clear to the listeners, the Yellow Kid is not Asian. Right. I, I think it was a little boy. And I think somehow or another, I can't remember the creator's name, but somehow or another, they, they, they made, they made you know, the color, when they did the color, they put him yellow. For, and he didn't know how or why. But the cool thing about it was, I just thought it was that this was the first national comic book character whose likeness appeared. Now, I'm trying to remember this correctly, soapboxes. But more funny was that his, his face also appeared on whiskey bottles too. <laughs> so, I mean, this is like the first merchandising. <laughs> I think that's right. You know, you're 100% right. And, and this yellow kid, you know, is a very, as you say, he was not a, every so often, some people mistook him, but the, but but mistook him for being Asian. But no, he wasn't. His name was Mickey Dugan, right? He was yes. not a. He was not a yes. Um, but everyone called him the Yellow Kid because, as you're alluding to, the color of his nightshirt, right? Right. Okay. His nightshirt was yellow, and and this guy out called who who drew him, you know, could write things kind of on the nightshirt. He could write text kind of on the nightshirt, which changed from him from from installment to installment. Um, you know, and and as you say, he was this kind of merchandising bonanza uh, and appeared on all this wide variety of things. And in some ways, I mean, I'm glad you sort of picked up on the whiskey bottle thing, right? As, as Because in some ways, you know, it's a wonderful metaphor for this kind of ambiguity at the beginning of comics. Here's a kid, yes. right? But but he, meaning Mickey Dugan, and also what he's, what he's on, is a little bit unsavory. Yes. Right? It's a little... Uh, and, you know, there was a way in which the reason that he was bald in some way was because uh, as a tenement kid, uh, they, they would, this was not just, uh, of course, this character, but they would shave these kids' heads in the 1890s because they were afraid of lice mm -hmm. spreading and things like that, right? This was this kind of very kind of raw, chaotic spirit of the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't always very tamed. Uh, and, and as a result, um, it's not surprising. One of the things that, that you see in the history of comics, as in the history of a lot of cultural media, is a series of moral panics about it. Yes. Uh, and you can imagine why, as you're saying, a character like the Yellow Kid, people can say, really? Is this what we want people to be uh, reading? Are you sure? You know, that kind of thing. Because that was kind of surprising. That, and, you know, listeners, that was just only in the first chapter of, we haven't even gotten to, I think, maybe we maybe it ended maybe in the 1930s. We didn't even touch the 50s. But just to see all this where people were going, wait a minute, this is like, because I know there is some pushback for Dick, the Dick Tracy news strips too. A hundred percent. I mean, you know. one of the things as you're pointing out is that new things develop, yes. new, uh, new movements, new technologies, new, new directions, uh, and, and, and people push back against them. So Dick Tracy, you know, which comes out in the thirties, but before years before Superman, years before the superheroes, you know, is, is, is very important among other things because it really ramped up the, the, the level of violence yes. that you would see in a newspaper comic. Um, and there were a number of people who said, this is too violent. We don't want to see this. And as you're pointing out, uh, this is not going to be an unfamiliar plaint uh, yeah, about right. comic books in decades uh, to come, but Dick Tracy you know, is definitely a, a part of that, 100%. Mm -hmm. okay. Before I continue on, I just wanted to point out one more cool thing, and I can't remember if it was in the, I think it was in the first chapter. Now, I'm going to be honest, because my, I, I don't know too much about American history. Well, I've been out of school for how long, but <laughs> <laughs> but there was, um, because in your, in the first chapter, there, I didn't know that, you know, that there are black newspapers or African-American newspapers. 
and I knew in the 19, 1937, um, Jackie Orms, Torchy Brown, mm -hmm. and, in, and it's, quote, an intelligent, self-reliant, black career woman whose stories show, showed fighting racism and sexism uh, and sex discrimination. I mean, that was groundbreaking for its time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, it was great. I, I, think, I think as you're saying, you know, one of the things that I tried to do, and of course, I'm relying on the work of many, many other scholars who are working yeah. in this field, um, but you know, is try and say, you know, these stories are always more complicated than we think that they are. You know, and there's a lot of voices that have been forgotten or marginalized or yes. pushed to the side. And, and they're important parts of these stories too. Sometimes they didn't even get the chance to speak, right? But sometimes they got the chance and just have been put. And so you had, as, as you're pointing out, all these black, these African-American, these black newspapers, uh, they had their own syndicates. Uh, they had, not surprisingly, they saw that, you know, they, the comic strips were a big thing and they had their own comic strips. Uh, and these became extremely uh, uh, central parts uh, of those newspapers and of a certain kind uh, of, of, uh, of identity for mm -hmm. certain groups. So uh, one of the other uh, characters uh, 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 that, that, that Orms makes has a doll. And this doll um, was a staple of black households. Uh, mm -hmm. in this, and, 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 you know, probably was very largely unknown uh, in many other precincts of America, right? And so it's this thing where you have groups not talking to each other mm -hmm. uh, in certain ways. And, and, and the book is trying to say, well, no, these are all part of this, this story that you need to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So because the, I think the thing I love about this book is that, you know, again, it's not just focusing on comic books. It's the whole comics medium and it's how it started and where we're, we're and still growing today and survived for how, through war, through um, some type of, up to, I'm just saying maybe some up to some type of censorship or, you yeah. know, something like that. So, you know, like, and, and you know, um, like, you know, um, and I'm going to ask you if you can just maybe comment on you know, some of my observations, like, and I, you mentioned it, like, one of it is that the comics kind of like, it kind of like reflects the times that we live in. Yeah. It's great. You know, I think that's, you know, and I think that, thank you. And I, and I think that, you know, when we try, one of the things when I try and write these books is that I try and think, put myself in the head of the, of the, of the players then, as yeah. opposed to sort of looking back now. So, you know, when you think about Siegel and Schuster, who create Superman, of course, you know, they are not saying, boy, this is going to be a billion dollar property and there's going to yeah. be a super and it's going to fund it. Right. They're looking backwards. They're looking and they're saying, all we want to do is be in the comic strip business. Mm -hmm. We want to be in the newspaper business. Yes. That's where the money is. That's where the, the, the best comics are. And so, you know, that makes us understand all of their decisions much more clearly. Right. If they say, you know what, um, comic books at this point before Superman really are a kind of very second-rate business. Mm -hmm. They're not really very good. But we've been rejected by all these syndicates. Nobody yeah. thinks that Superman, you know. So if there's some offer that's going to buy all the rights uh -huh. um, for what now to us seems like, you know, and was, well, now seems a ludicrously small amount of money, mm -hmm. right? What what shot did they have with this character, right? And so it's, it's not saying that it wasn't an enormous crime. It wasn't saying that they shouldn't get a ton more money. They, I think they should. Right. But you understand why they made the decisions they made at the particular time that they made them. Um, and why when, when all they're thinking when they start publishing Superman is, 
boy, maybe we can start getting these things into the newspapers as a newspaper story. Um, um, okay. Now, yeah. um, I'm going to continue on. So now besides talking to Danny, Danny Fingerroth, Paul Levitz, did you ever get a chance to talk to any of the comic book, uh, any current comic book creators? And, and whether it's from comic books or, you know, people making the um, Sunday funnies, did you ever get a chance to talk to them when you're writing the book, just to get an idea of how things are today? Uh, yeah, over the course, I mean, yeah, over the course, yes and no, I would say. Okay. I didn't do interviews for the book in that kind of, that wasn't what I did. I read many, many, many interviews that other, particularly in the comics journal, that people had. Uh, and I used those as sources. But I didn't really conduct new interviews of my own. That said, um, over the course of the years of writing the book and teaching the class, I've had, we've had the opportunity to have, thanks to Paul, many different guest speakers uh, mm -hmm. who are practitioners. So I have had a, a, a nice amount of chance to talk with quite a number of people, some of the, the, the very you know, top of the biz, um, about sort of their process and their kind of thing. But, but uh, you know, thankfully, thanks both to uh, uh, um, venues like the Comics Journal and the Internet, you know, you, you, you have the opportunity to, to, to read and to see many of these, these interviews that give you a tremendous amount of information uh, about who these people are, what they're thinking, what their motivations are. And that yes. was extremely useful. And my next, you know, and then I'm being, I'm just being serious. While you were writing this book, did you ever go back to read any of some of your comics like The Watchmen? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I tried... Uh, even with the comics that I, I felt like I knew very well from reading and rereading as kids, I wanted to go back and sort of read them to figure out what I wanted to say about them for the book. So Watchmen, for example, I also, we, Paul and I had also taught Watchmen a number of times. So that was more, more recent, but rereading mouse for the first time in a few years, for example, uh, re uh, reading, you know, and even things, uh, reading some of these old Avengers comics or Sam, you know, and, and there's an old saying that the golden age of science fiction is 12, right? That, yeah. right? And you get it, right? I mean, that's, a, and there's a way in which, you know, you do feel like you have to remember who you were when you read some of these comics for the first time and, and, and maintain that sense of that wonder and who they were written for. So, you know, to look at, let's say, a comic book, a DC comic book from the 1960s mm -hmm. and say, well, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, there's red yeah. kryptonite and he's got an ant head on or something like yeah. that. That's, that's really in some ways to, to be missing the point, right? Mm -hmm. Not to be entering into the spirit of what was going on then, both as, a, as an enjoyer uh, mm -hmm. and as a cultural historian. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that's, they're not aiming for a 40-something, uh, you know, yeah. professor. They're, 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 they're not. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's great. You mm -hmm. know, they, so that was... That was part of the joy, too, was to try and kind of recapture that sense of saying, oh, my gosh, the Justice League, you know, these classic 60s, the Justice League is teaming up to fight, you know, a giant starfish. Like, mm -hmm. that's amazing. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, no, but you hit it on the, you, that's perfect because I'm, I'm reading, um, I have a trade, um, uh, Crisis on Multiple Earths, where the Justice League and the JSA are teaming up. And, oh, sure. You know. I mean, by today's standards, it's a simple story, but it's still a fun, exciting story. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm reading it. And that's what I'm looking at is just fun and exciting. I think that's right. I think that, you know, a lot of these 60s 
books, mm-hmm. both in the DC and the Marvel, are very, very good about sort of those basic mechanics of fun, exciting stories. Yes. You know, they set it up, they do the thing, there's something cool, they yes. get out, you know, and it's like, that takes real craft, right, mm-hmm. to be able to, to do. And, you know, and they're not thinking too hard about why sort of super robot from outer space is coming, right? They don't really care so much. But putting it together in that way, it takes craft and like good for the, you know, and it's, and they're, they're, they're fun, they're fun stories, you know. Um, yeah. So um, I'm going to ask, how do you see digital comics platforms such as Panel Syndicate, Comixology, Substack, and like crowdfunding play a role in comics history? It's a great question. And I, I have to say, you know, I get a lot of people asking me, like, what do I think the future of comics is? Is it positive? Mm-hmm. Is it negative? And because of a lot of these kinds of experiments, and I think a lot of them are, you know, we'll see what platforms rise and what fall, particular yes. ones. But the idea of it is, is so wonderful. I'm so bullish on it because it really allows fundamentally for this kind of democratization, you know, of, uh, of talent. Right. I mean, you know, for, for many decades, you know, in, in, in the business of comics, certainly of mainstream comics, if you weren't living within, you know, a couple of miles of Manhattan, you really weren't able, uh, you know, to participate. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, if you have talent, you could live anywhere, you know, and you upload your, your art, you know, you tell your story, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it gets five million views on one of these, you know, platforms, people are going to come calling. Yeah. Um, and even if you don't get that many views, but somehow you're this unique voice that gets to the right 50, 100 people, who's like, this is someone who we want to cultivate, someone who we're going. And, and that just wasn't possible uh, yeah. before this. Yeah. Right. And I also think, I think that, that any of these crowdfunding, whether it's Kickstarter or something uh-huh. else, I think is also wonderful because sometimes you just don't know that uh, what you wanted or what you needed uh-huh. um, until, you know, I'm thinking of, uh, for example, I think this came out uh, 10 years ago now, and maybe a little bit after that, but this womanthology that I think was funded on Kickstarter. Okay. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden people say, you know, we really want uh, uh, the, this crowdfunded anthology of work by women. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it funded, and, and it showed not only that it, it, there could be an audience for it, but that there was an audience for it, and therefore the work yeah. got done for that audience, and then for many others as well. Now, um, let's see. What was one, what was one or two surprises that came up while you're writing this book? Anything surprised you? I think a really surprising thing was I always had this intuition from doing sort of some of the preliminary work for the class that there were real connections, thematic connections, let's say, between, you know, a lot of these disparate, what I thought of as disparate strands of comics. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that you could see kind of, in some of the independent or countercultural comics, you could see yeah. sort of allusions to, you know, early. But what I didn't, when you start really doing the research and you start reading these interviews and you start talking, you know, you just see how enmeshed all of these writers are on both sides of the spectrum, I should say, mm-hmm. um, with all sorts of other uh, uh, kinds of comics than the ones that they are associated with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you should excuse the expression from a professor of Jewish literature, but uh, right, uh, comic artists and creators are much more Catholic uh, about their, uh, uh, you know, about their interests, right? I mean, you know, you, you look at these interviews with Alan Moore um, and you see, you know, from the 80s, you see, you know, 
what a fan of not just, you know, classic DC and Marvel stuff, yeah. but of Love and Rockets and yeah. all of these, you know, of Art Spiegelman, of, of, of these kind of things that he is. And, 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 and you see that kind of real admiration in many ways across the board. And so then you start looking and you say, well, I'm not just going to look at, uh, um, for influences, old old iterations of the kind of thing that they're associated with. Uh -huh. You can look kind of much more broadly. And that was part of the story I wanted to tell, too. Um, um, let's see. I'm slowly wrapping this up. Um, let's see. Um, when now, you know, the book is out in hardcover right now. And of course, you know, usually they'll do a soft cover release. Are you going to be adding any chapters in the in the soft cover release? Uh, I, you know, not, there's no plans to do that at present. No. Okay. No. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the book it does, a, you know, it goes up to the, the beginnings of the mm -hmm. outbreak of COVID-19. Um, and I think that, you know, maybe in many years, uh, mm -hmm. I'll be able to revisit and say, you know, okay, let me see what a chapter from 2015 to 2030, you know, yeah. would look like. Um, and but right now, you know, you want that kind of uh, hindsight to be able to kind of put things together. So, you know. all right. And then, um, what comics or graphic novels are you reading right now, if if you have time? <laughs> you know. Well, I will say that I I just yesterday uh, read uh, after. I'm looking to see if because I don't. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't remember the name of the artist, but Chip Zdarsky's Afterlift. Um, which first appeared on Comixology. Yes, yeah. Uh, now just been collected by Dark Horse. Um, Jason Lowe is the artist on that. Yes. Yes, that's, that's yes. Great, yeah. great art. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know him and Chip Zdarsky are doing um, The All-Nighter. It's out on Comixology Original. Oh, great. Okay, yes. So this was, uh, I guess, last, or last year's Comixology uh, installed by them. I Genuinely just an enjoyable ride. Um, okay. I, I really sort of, I, I thought that was wonderful. Um, so that was what I read yesterday. Um, today, uh, um, and I, and I, I just enjoyed that, uh, a lot. Um, yeah. So I, I'm a big fan. I've been a fan of Zdarsky's work for quite some time. I'm now a fan uh, of Jason Liu's work. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing more from both of them. Oh, okay. All right. Um, let's see. Favorite convention moments either as a fan or as, you know, someone that has a booth or did a panel at a convention, either way. Uh, I will say that uh, I have not been a big convention goer. I hope to change that in years to come. It just, um, uh, I haven't been doing that much of it, but probably my favorite one was taking with Paul a number of students to the New York Comic-Con. Um, and, you know, some of these students were, I don't want to say jaded, right? They're all teenagers, young, yeah, young adults. Yeah. But, but, you know, they'd been to a lot of conventions. And they were like, oh, we're going to go here. We're gonna do that. And then some of them were just like, what is this thing? Mm -hmm. uh, and it was nice to have that sort of variety uh, of, of, of responses. Um, I'm, I, you know, we have small kids, so we've been, we have, we've been very cautious in, in, in the years yeah. of COVID. But I, I, I can't wait to take my own little kids to a convention uh, at some point when... Um, uh, you know, when the pandemic is, when everything clears up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, um, let's see. Have you and your family been to Hawaii? 
I've been to Hawaii uh, once when I was uh, a kid, and I mm-hmm. loved it, and I, I, I hope to bring them back. <laughs> or bring them and come back. Yeah. Come yeah. Back. Okay. Now, um, any closing words to our listeners? Just, uh, you know, that I think that uh, uh, I was so lucky to be able to tell this story. I'm so grateful to have the chance to have done this. Uh, I, I really hope if, if this is a conversation that's interested you, that maybe you check out the book mm-hmm. um, and uh, or that if you have a friend or, or a relative who likes comics, uh, you know, the thing that's been magical in having these conversations is really to see how many people have some strong emotional connection to comics. And I hope that the book deepens that by saying that, that your love of it is part of a larger story that, that really is the story of uh, American culture. Well, Jeremy, I'm going to say thank you very much. You know, um, Jeremy, I want to wish you all the success with your book, American Comics, A History. Thank you very much, or mahalo for your time and giving me this opportunity. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to interview you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Mahalo to you, and thank you so much, and Allah. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I also want to thank Aaron of JRB Communications. You know, Jeremy, um, Aaron, I'm sorry, Aaron, Aaron of JRB Communications. Aaron, thank you very much for all your help in sending up this interview. Now, if you are a new comic book fan or a lifelong comic fan like me, I encourage you to pick up Jeremy's book. Again, it's American Comics, A History. It is available in bookstores right now or on Amazon. Um, you know, this is, you know, the Christmas season of make a great Christmas gift. Or if you're listening to this podcast, you know, months from now, it'll be a great, you know, either pick up the book for yourself or it'd be a great, you know, present to a friend of yours or a family member. Um, And I'm just putting this out there, you know, ask your local comic shop to order a copy and start a conversation up, you know, with them, you know, with the comic book shop owner as well, too. Um, To me, you know, I love, I love what I read so far. This book, it gives me a deeper appreciation of a love you know, you know, it gives me a deep appreciation and a love of a hobby that we all love. You know, it really does. Um, I want to thank Drew, the host of Comics for Fun and Profit. Drew, thank you very much for putting this episode together. Thank you for all your hard work behind the scenes. And if you are a new listener, please check out new episodes of Comics for Fun and Profit that comes out every Sunday. And I want to thank you, the listeners. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode. Until next time, guys, aloha.